Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, we are into the middle of the next week. And um, I thank God for opportunity to worship Him. We are not yet opening the church, um, taking a few tests on the whole environment and all that. But we'll let you know when we're ready. Meantime, let's enjoy this benefit of being online. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Father, in Jesus' name, we worship you. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the honor of serving you in this day and hour. Oh, we give you thanks. We give you praise. You are faithful. Hallelujah. Blessed be your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. Blessed be your holy name. From everlasting to everlasting, you are the same. We give you thanks. We give you praise. You are worthy, O Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you seek those who worship in spirit and in truth. I worship you today. We join the heavenly host and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with your glory. We worship you, we worship you, we worship you. Hallelujah, Lord. Blessed be your holy name, blessed be your holy name. Praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithful O Lord, great is thy faithfulness. O Jesus, we declare you are King. La prapalmena crestele jebriante. Metoro sendere mal melteriende. We bless your holy name, Asha Prakalmala Brabalamanda. Worthy, 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 Brasile Crostolo Prabalayante. O Brejambra la Malma Crasalami Calanda. Medozo Bretemite Pravali Crasamanda la Crabazere de Borotocoriende. 
Alleluia, la brama le cristale se prediventere burra paracata cariende. Ashaya kamas daramal maravala prabacasante. Oh, for he is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Yes, my knee shall bow, and my tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord Masharabari andere burra babashalam yande Haleme koroko sekeremen berestele brambeleonto Hashta pravata malanda rabaya kastalami karadamanda Worthy, 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 worthy Prajabraba kalbarakasaramal barakatalamanda Hallelujah, we worship you, we worship you, we worship you, we worship you. Blessed be the name of the living God, Rapasi Prabal Malakrala Mikala Rabarayande. O worthy Refravila Remekastala Pramalakrala Kastala Drambalalamayande. Worship you, worship you, worship you, worship you, worship you, worship you. Thank you for your tender mercies, thank you for your loving kindnesses, O Lord. We worship you, we worship you, we worship you, we worship you. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father. Hallelujah, Lord. There seems to be some situation with someone there with um, a BP problem and then uh, some other thing about the right side of your body receiving fullness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Your mercy, your mercy, your mercy, your mercy. Oh, thank you for restoration. Thank you for healing. Thank you for wholeness. I rebuke every lying symptom. I curse every lying thing. In Jesus' name, body be healed. Be made whole in Jesus' name. Thank you, Abba Father. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, Abba Father, for your mercy. Mercy working. Healing mercies. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, faithful God, we open ourselves to you, Lord. We trust you today. We receive from your mercy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord Jesus. Well, today we'll go on with um, straight uh, English. And uh, let's see how far we can go. I'd like us to consider one or two verses of Scripture, particularly as we um, approach these last days with a heart of expectation. I believe that this will help us a lot and um, let's see how we can go. Um, let's go to the book of First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter.
First Thessalonians chapter 5 and uh, we'll start to read from verse 8 but let us who are of the day be sober notice that putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation for God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him hallelujah so we are called those who are of the day praise God and uh, if you notice there it says in verse uh, 5 you are the children of light the children of the day we are not of the night nor of darkness praise God so we are children of the light children of the day and he says that we should be sober we should keep our eyes open and we should watch unto that day hallelujah we should walk in a certain way there it says let's also look at another scripture that's very similar to the, to this one let's go to Romans and observe there in the 13th chapter Romans chapter 13 hallelujah praise God it's close to the end I read from uh, Verse, um, yeah, verse 11 and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light praise God so notice here it says you know, the, at the writing of, of the book of Romans there, he said that the salvation was nearer than when they first believed. And if he said it was high time back then, almost 2,000 years ago, that we should wake up because salvation, and it doesn't mean just, you know, being saved, but he was talking specifically about the salvation of the body or the redemption of the body. He says that, the time to awake has come because the salvation is nearer than when we believed. You're already saved in your spirit, but one day soon our bodies will also enjoy redemption and enjoy the full benefits of freedom from the curse. Right now in the flesh, in the bodily members, there's part of that curse that was put on the earth because we were made out of the earth. And so... Uh, one of these days, you know, that is going to happen. A great redemption will take place and our bodies will be transformed in an instant. Hallelujah. And so, uh, what we have been travailing or crying about will eventually come to pass. You know, our, we are also groaning. We are also travailing, the Bible says. And we are groaning like birth pangs to receive that new glorified body. Hallelujah. And so that's going to happen one of these days. But since the time is really close, he says, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. So it's a kind of symbolism there where sleep is carnality or 
just being in the flesh. Wake out of it. You know, it's possible for a believer to just be out of fellowship with God and just doing things in the flesh. So this is not a time to waste time, you know, in the flesh. But it's a time to focus on the Lord and get our act together because that great redemption is drawing near. Hallelujah. So let's be careful. He says, the night is far spent, verse 12. The days at hand. This time is also called the night because the God of this world, the devil, is uh, still ruling minds. And, you know, there has been proof that, you know, he's the one causing all these problems. Him and fallen mankind. So it's not God's fault. And since we are here, thank God we can live. He says we should live in a different way as though we are running out of time. Hallelujah. He says there is far spent. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. That's the day we are waiting for. Let us therefore cast off works of darkness. So this is not a time to indulge yourself in frivolous things, but to be more focused in expectation and anticipation of that great day that's coming. Cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Hallelujah. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, drunkenness, chambering, wantonness, strife, envying. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So he's basically telling us that since we're going home soon, that great hope is coming to pass. Let's be careful to do our best, not to slack off, but to be as though we're awake. Another similar scripture in Ephesians says, in the fifth chapter, we'll go there also. He says, wherefore, he says, awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Christ shall give thee light. Praise God. The actual meaning is arise from among the dead. So it's possible for Christians, for believers to um, just act in a way that you cannot tell the difference between them and an unbeliever and a spiritually dead person. But he's saying that because our day, the day that we're expecting is coming so quickly, let's arise from among them. Hallelujah. And uh, he says, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Amen. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Amen. We live in these kind of times and we were sent by God for this kind of time. And so we should not forget since the days closer, much closer than we can imagine. You know, news articles and things like that tell us of how uh, people are getting shocked. Even in America, they're burning Bibles. Um, you know, people are finding it hard to believe that such things would happen in America. Well, these are the days in which we live, you know, and um, there's that kind of attitude where people are against the things of God, and uh, that's the evil time in which we live. So we'll have to keep our eyes open, and we have to get prepared and see how much we can do before He comes. Amen. So this is a time to be sober, to redeem time, 
to make the best use of your time, to seek God's face, to pray, pray for this uh, world and the people in it. Give yourself to prayer. You may find yourself getting awakened at night and you can seek God and pray. Redeeming time is done as you pray and you put God's word first. Uh, Time will be saved. God is a God who redeems our time. Praise God. So these thoughts must be at the forefront. They are parts of the wisdom that we can enjoy. Making choices that will be eternally beneficial. Hallelujah. So the, the prodigal son was one of those boys who finally decided to awake out of sleep and Christ gave him light and he, he was able to come back home and take his place. Praise God. So don't worry, our God is a God who will always welcome you back to fellowship with Him and you can just commit yourself on a daily basis you know, and say, Lord, I'm available. Help me to do it right this day, to live for your glory. Help me to pray, seek your face. Let's live like that each day because that's about it, you know. Each day you have is a privilege. Praise God. Last week we had um, stopped at a couple of thoughts, and I think given all of this, we should also look at them. We were talking there about how There are factors of God's nature that has to be understood, especially by the church, by the people of God. So we we were looking at Romans, the ninth chapter, and then eventually I think the twelfth chapter. So maybe we'll go and see something out of Romans again. Romans chapter 9. Praise God. Hallelujah. God is faithful. You know, he starts by lamenting about how he feels for his kinsmen, the Jewish people, Israelites, and how they are very special. You know, they are God's own uh, first son, according to the scripture. Exodus says there, I believe it's in chapter 4 and verse 22, that he says, Israel is my first son. Praise God. So he's the first son that God has chosen and adopted as his own son. He says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Hallelujah. So, you know, we should not forget that this is how God thinks and he has not forsaken them. They are very special. They have privileges uh, which no other nation had. From long time ago, they were custodians of the word, the law. Praise God and the benefits of Jesus himself coming out of the Jewish flesh. Verse 4 says, The Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, giving of the law, the service of God, or the priesthood, and the promises, whose are the fathers, of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, verse 5 says, who is over all, God blessed forever, Amen. Wonderful. So while other nations were doing whatever they wanted, one man has decided to follow and obey the invisible God who taught him things, 
And from that race, we have a particular law given whereby we can live and uh, maintain a certain kind of lifestyle, you know, that is appropriate. The law still has uh, the ability to hold people up in a certain way. Otherwise, there's no moral compass um, out there. I remember when I got saved, I began to think about what's right and what's wrong, and who said this is right, and who said that's wrong. You know, that's how those thoughts came, and I eventually ended up uh, questioning who made the law, you know, British law, American law, or some local laws, or tribal laws. And eventually I found out that the majority of the world was following British law, or American law, and I said, where did that come from? And eventually I stumbled on the Bible and found out that it was God who said, Thou shalt not, and so on and so forth. So, very interesting that uh, God started off with these people, and so they're very um, developed from long time ago to think in a certain way, to behave in a certain way. Praise God. So that's the kind of stuff he's saying there. Verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So he says there that it's not because they are children of Abraham that all of them are um, special, because he said, In Isaac shall the seed be called. So Abraham had um, two sons, and it was not a problem of whether one was born from the bond maiden or uh, house help, and one was from his real wife. That was not the point. The point was God could see who would follow him by faith and who would not. And so Isaac was the one whom in his foreknowledge he knew that would follow and choose God. Meanwhile, uh, Ishmael was going to go the other way. That is, verse 8, They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise, notice, are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At the time, or rather at this time, will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Of course, Abraham becomes impatient and, and so he goes off and uh, Ishmael comes in on the scene. Verse 10, And not only this, but when Rebekah also, notice the next uh, example, Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac. Notice that he refers to Isaac as our father, but he doesn't say Ishmael is our father. So, meaning that it was based on faith, God saw the faith in Isaac, God saw the faith in us, and he said that Isaac is our father. So here he comes to the next generation, Rebekah, who's Isaac's wife, the children being not yet born, verse 11 continues, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. So he saw them and their desires. He saw everything beforehand. God has this great foreknowledge and he does not foreordain or write it on your head just 
because he said so. That's not what he is. He knows our choices in his great foreknowledge. And then he goes ahead and he chooses us. Praise God. So out of the same womb, now Rebecca's womb are coming two, two children. And in verse 12 he says, Unto, the, unto her the elder shall serve the younger. <laughs> As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. See, this is not now a matter of which womb. These two are in the same womb. So it's not about whether the womb was this person or that person. So it's not based on race and nationality. Can you see that? Uh, the Jewish race, uh, it's a special race because Abraham decided to believe in the invisible God and received instruction and received the understanding of faith and the principles of faith and dared to believe God. And so that race came in. And uh, whoever believed in that same way was accounted as blessed and accounted as chosen in God. In God's foreknowledge, he just knows everything beforehand. So even in the womb, he knew who was going to follow and who was not going to. So notice there, it's not about whose womb, but it's about the person in the womb. And in God's foreknowledge, he knows what they're going to choose beforehand. Verse 13 is, it's written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. By now you know he doesn't hate anyone. Praise God, that's not right. God cannot sin. And hatred is not there. Are you getting this? So it has to be the attitude of that person. God cannot be pleased except by faith. Anything that's not of faith is sin. So he just knows those who follow and who choose to believe in him. And he chooses them. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. 15 says, For he says to Moses, Now he brings up another person. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Praise God. <clears throat> so then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. So it was not because of Moses uh, mercy or M Moses' compassion that any of those things happened. It was because God is full of compassion. Hallelujah. And so, whether Moses was there or it was somebody else, God doesn't change. He's still a God of compassion. His compassions fail not. Hallelujah. So, we need to get that right. Jesus would have gone to the cross because that's how He is. That's the compassion of God. Praise God. Verse 16. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. You may ponder about all these thoughts a little bit, because sometimes they, they sound, you know, kind of tricky. So are you saying that nobody should run anymore? No. God works in us, both to will and do His good pleasure. So when you are weak, that's when He's strong. And He wants us to trust Him, receive the grace from Him to do exactly what He has called us to do. God shows mercy. He's the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. 
But now we come to another person called Pharaoh. It says, 17, For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Notice that it's the scripture that is saying. In other words, God and the scripture are the same thing. Hallelujah. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore has he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Aha. That's where we need maybe to drive in a point or two. Let's read verse 19 also. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Praise God. 20 says, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Now you have all of that potter and clay there. Jeremiah 18 and Isaiah 45 talk about these things. And we all start off as a lump of clay. But as in our choices, which God knows before, as we begin to yield, He can actually mold us either into a vessel of honor or dishonor. That's based on our choice. The more we yield to the Word and the leading of the Spirit and to being discipled, the more we become a vessel of honor. Praise God. So it's actually our choice. It's not that God chooses one to be a vessel of honor and the other to be a vessel of dishonor. However, while He's molding us, you know, if we begin to resist Him, just like in the Porter's case, you know, they start out nicely and the vessel is going along. But if that clay begins to resist, you know, then you'll see the hand of the potter applies more pressure. And if the thing begins to resist some more, what do you think is going to happen? The Bible says he resists the proud. He scorns the scorner, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's like the more you resist him, the harder he gets. <laughs> Nobody's bigger than him. See, so if we yield and we are pliable and we are yielded, then we become vessels of honor. But if you keep resisting and resisting, eventually he'll just throw that thing off and he has the right to do it. See, so it's not that he makes the clay like that or he makes the pot in one kind of way. It's based on the, the pot itself, actually. Hallelujah. Are you getting this? So if you don't understand that the foreknowledge of God has seen everything before and then is using the person's own choices, you will misinterpret all these kind of things. There's a lot of misinterpretation around these things. For instance, you know, um, we used to believe that it was fate that brought us to X, Y, Z place, you know, just by fate. Of course, if you consider one or two things, for instance, you had no choice in the family that you come from. You have no choice in the nation that you come from. You did not have any choice in any of those things. So, you know, God just knew that that's where you should come from. And we should not argue about that. We should accept that. 
but as to whether we will be uh, useful in His hands or whether we will be honorable unto Him. That's all based on our choices, which He has known beforehand and so has chosen us or rejected us. And now as we yield to Him and His Word, the more we are filled with His Word and His thoughts and the more we yield to the Spirit of God and getting discipled, the more the honor of God will be seen in our lives. Hallelujah. It's entirely up to us. So as we see these last days really approaching so quickly, it's not a time to back off, but it's a time rather to make sure that you are doing what you know. Hallelujah. God help us. Praise God. Let's keep going. If we now pick up Pharaoh's story, whom he will, he will harden, whom he will, he will have mercy on. Remember that? We need to get that clear. I, I think that maybe we didn't say enough last week. But if you look at the story of uh, Pharaoh, you will notice there there's a couple of thoughts. Let's go to um, Exodus chapter 7. Praise God. And uh, let's see what we can get out of it. There's some thoughts there from Exodus 7 where you'll notice he has begun a certain way of speaking. He has given Pharaoh enough chances. And um, for instance, let's start in verse 1. He says, Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. And thou shalt speak all I command. Speak unto Pharaoh. He'll send the children. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. And bring forth my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand, Moses and Aaron. And as you keep reading there, you'll notice when, verse 9, Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle. You shall say, Aaron, take the rod and do as is commanded. And all of that stuff. Verse 13, And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, verse 14. He is refused to let the people go. <laughs> so you notice this, this thing between him knowing that Pharaoh is going to be hardened, and then he hardens. Are you getting it? Same thing goes into the 8th chapter. Go unto Pharaoh, say unto him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. So what goes on is that constantly he shows him something and he gives him a chance to adjust. But Pharaoh ends up after one and the other and the other keeps getting harder and harder. Same thing, more miracles. Pharaoh called for Moses, verse 9. Aaron said, entreat the Lord to remove the frogs. Pharaoh And Moses said to Pharaoh, glory over me when I shall entreat for thee. Moreau, he said, Be it according to thy word. You may know there is no other Lord like our God. And he goes on there, 
from Pharaoh, verse 12, And Moses cried out unto the Lord because of the frogs. Lord did according to the word of Moses. They were gathered together. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart. So anytime there was a freedom and things changed, then Pharaoh would harden his heart again. Hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth your rod. And then the next thing would happen, lies. You know, and so one after the other, it would just keep building up until Pharaoh would say, okay, it's too much. Ah. And then when things just dropped, he would harden again. Are you seeing that? It goes like that even into the ninth chapter. I think it's somewhere in the end there. The heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Let's read a little earlier. Moses went out, verse 33, of the city from Pharaoh, spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hail ceased. See, everything stops. The rain was not poured upon the earth. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Can you see that? So anytime uh, the thing reduces, and the plagues are taken away, he would harden up. He was that kind of person. And so, first God gives him all these opportunities. Then after some time, God begins to now step on it. He removes every restraint, and... Where there is no restraint, he becomes extra hard. Look at verse 1 of Exodus 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. So that's how it just builds up. And uh, the more the hardening takes place, the more the demonstration. See, so it's like eventually God has a chance to show everybody. If you keep resisting and resisting, like Pharaoh here, he's not, not talking to believers, okay? Get this, but you can get an idea about who he is. See, so when Pharaoh resists and resists, then God now hardens what he has already started. Can you see that? And then the more that Pharaoh becomes hardened, the greater the victory can be demonstrated. So after all of those plagues, he became so hardened that now the whole world at that period of time became aware of what was going on. That this man is actually fighting against the God of Moses. And no matter what the God of Moses did, after ten plagues, he still would not let the people go. Everybody came to know about that. And so God has now said, all right, the more you have demonstrated hardness, now I'm going to show you and the whole world that through your hardness, I get a bigger victory. And so he brought him to the sea and the sea was split. And that's where you see the final, you know, uh, drowning and the whole world getting to know about it. Today, of course, people try to write it off as though it never happened. But it's part of the Jewish history that Egypt and all of their forces were swallowed up in that Red Sea. Hallelujah. We can look at um, more of those kind of verses. If you keep reading on, after the 10th, you go on 
the eleventh. You know, it says in verse 8 of chapter 10, Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? He says, you cannot take everybody. Moses said, we will go with our young, with our old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks, our herds. We will go for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, let the Lord be so with you as I will let you go and your little ones. Not, (laughs) verse 11, not so go now ye that are men and serve the Lord. For that you desire to be driven out of Pharaoh's presence. The Lord said unto Moses, stretch out your hand. So he just keeps changing. So you, you have a great demonstration of this person who says one thing. And then when things change, he just changes his mind. He's a classic person that is chosen by God to demonstrate that because he was hardening himself against God, God eventually super hardened him, removed all restraints, and demonstrated a great victory through that man's obstinate, stubborn life. Hallelujah. So, you know, when you read such verses, don't get confused. Locust, verse 14, went up over the land. Egypt rested. I would say just read all till you come to the end of the story. Verse 16, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. He said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. See, he keeps going like this. When things get tough, he says, I have sinned, you know. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin, only this once. Entreat the Lord your God, that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. The Lord Lord turned a mighty strong West wind which took away the locusts, cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. Imagine. See, but because of this up and down kind of character, verse 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. The Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven that there will be darkness. And you know the darkness was there and you could... It was so thick, you could feel it. They didn't see anybody, but there was light in their dwellings over in Goshen. Pharaoh called unto Moses, 24 says, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. See, he's still making concessions. Keep the animals here. Let your little ones also go. This is how he just keeps. And Moses said to him, you must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord. Our cattle also shall go with us. See that? And after that, 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So with his behavior, God would now apply some more. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. For in that day that you see my face, you shall die. See how he's talking. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face no more. Again, no more. Can you see that? So he's uh, really asking for trouble again and again. Until finally, the hardness took him all the way to pursue these people to the uh, sea and get totally surrounded by water. Exodus 11 is continuing story there. 
The Lord said to Moses, Yet I will bring one plague more upon Pharaoh. And afterwards he will let you go. See that? Speak now in the ears of the people. Let every man borrow out of his neighbor, every woman, jewels and silver. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants. So they respected him and they would listen. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon the throne. Hmm. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. But against the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue. That's verse 7. So that you can see a difference. And all thy servants shall come down unto me and bow themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And the Lord said to Pharaoh, or unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Can you see that? So he's going to see even bigger things. Glory to God. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Can you see that? So, um, if you follow the whole story, you will notice, is this cycle of, yes, don't worry, after this, you are free to go. Then he changed his mind. So when he kept doing that again and again, God said, all right, now I'm going to remove all the restraints, and you're going to be super hardened, and I will demonstrate my great victory through that stubborn nature of yours. And everybody will know that I'm the God who split the seas and brought my people out with a mighty hand. Hallelujah. That's how it works. Praise God. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. You know, God has not changed. Hallelujah. The third chapter of Proverbs, let's look at um, verse 34. He says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. Praise God. So he's a God that if you push against him, he'll push against you. And if you push some more, he'll push some more. And the more you push, the bigger he gets. So he resists the proud. In the new covenant, you notice he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God actually will fight against you. He will actually become your enemy, in quote, and fight against you. So isn't it better to just humble yourself? Woo, glory to God. You could see that Moses was very humble. Jesus, of course, he left the portals of heaven and took on our nature humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every other name. That the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven, on earth and under the earth should bow. Every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You have heard all these things, but you know you, you should not be confused about the nature of God. So God knew your choice long time ago God knew the Jewish people. God knew the remnant who believed. God knew each person's choices. And based on that, He chose them and uh, has shown mercy 
and given grace. Hallelujah. Are you getting that? So, um, you have the, the examples there of these great people, some for honor, some for dishonor. Some you notice are vessels of honor, some are vessels of dishonor. There is, of course, Ishmael and Esau and Pharaoh chosen on one hand. And then there's Moses and there's Isaac. Praise God. You can see all these things are neatly written there. God just knew their choices. There's Isaac, there's Jacob, and there's Moses. Praise God. So we were in verse 17. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So there is a reality that he wants everybody to know, that he actually brought them out by splitting that sea. And they walked through that dry ground. The whole earth is supposed to know that. <laughs> Praise God. So, glory to God. 20 says, Nay, but O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? So here comes the blaming God attitude. Praise God. And the devil knows that. And that's why during Job's situation, he also said, skin for skin, that this man is now going to curse you to the face when his own self becomes affected. You know, he knows that eventually that fallen nature, that flesh nature will like to blame God. So he's trying to address it and through understanding, we'll be able to refuse that nature. Are you seeing it? When there's a thought rising up from that fallen nature to blame God, that's when we say, no, that's one place I will not go to. I am the only problem. If there's a problem, it's me. It's not God. God is perfect. God is 100%. If I humble myself, He will lift me up. Praise God. So it's in order to deal with such thoughts, especially in these last days, when people are going to be saying all kinds of things, God did this, God did that, what kind of God is this? And so on and so forth. So you need to know, He knew you, He knew them, He knew everyone before they were formed in their mother's womb. And based on their inclinations, desires, and their thoughts, and their faith, He chose them. Hallelujah. So get a hold of it. Think about it some more. Eventually, don't point any finger at God because there's no fault with Him. He is sinless. Glory to God. 22 continues with an argument. What if God willing to show his wrath? Oh wow, time has been going. And to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us. So there we go. In, you know, in this context, you could say that, you know, Israel has hardened itself by rejecting the Messiah that came, and uh, they could not accept that God would actually come in a form that they did not expect. He became a stone, a stumbling stone. They wanted him to dominate a physical kingdom and rule and kick the Romans out of there 
all their thoughts were natural. And when it didn't come the way they expected, they said it's God's fault. Where is the Messiah? We don't see any Messiah. And meanwhile the Messiah was standing in front of them. Their table became a snare. And they actually butchered the Passover meal there and went and ate the type and shadow in their houses. Praise God. So that attitude is what it's all about. That attitude can make you miss it. Jesus is right there. Your salvation, your Savior is right there. And you refuse and reject because of the way your attitudes are towards God. So if you read, it says in 11, Romans 11 and 25, praise God. Very interesting scripture, it says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So they are under a kind of curse where they are blinded from that time because of the way they made the law into an idol. The law was never supposed to be the Savior. The Savior is Jesus and it all the sacrifices were pointing to Him. The law was an impossible standard. You could not keep the law. And so they were supposed to understand that He was the Lamb, He was the offering, He was the scapegoat. But instead they took the law and made that an idol. And they all hid behind that. And so that they even uh, crucified Him, refused Him. And the Bible says, Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. The fullness of the Gentiles means people who are not Jews. Until the last person who is not a Jew accepts Jesus and comes in. So the clocks have stopped, so to speak, for the Jewish people. From that time till our time or the age of the church gets over. The last person comes in, then their clock starts all over again. And so, 26 says, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, They shall come out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn ungodliness from Jacob. This, For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. This is where it comes from. So he has not forgotten them. He has not cast them off. They are just blinded. And the clock has stopped for them. While we are on right now. And our clock is going to stop shortly. And then he starts off with them again. 30 says, For as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. See, God had to judge so that he could show mercy also. He had to judge all unrighteousness, show that he could show mercy to the righteous. Even so, have these also now not believed that through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. Hmm. So you can see that he's a wise God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Glory to God. 
in the end you find out God is the boss and everything is based on His goodness, His wisdom. Glory to God. Alright, let's um, take a small leave from here and let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. <coughs> After the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says that He uh, was with them um, for 40 days talking about the things of the kingdom, if you remember. And um, verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them, they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, You have heard of me. Notice here that um, they were, on the other hand, it's a continuation from Luke, they were discussing, all right, now he's back. He has uh, this kind of wonderful body. Let's ask him about, you know, the kingdom. Let's ask him about how it's going to happen after all these things. And let's go on. Verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Notice how they just skirted what he said. <laughs> he, he was telling them, you guys uh, go and receive the promise. Go wait for the promise. We have some schedule here. And they are like back on the same story. Okay, fine. So, hmm, you're back. You're back in this great body. Now tell us, is this now the time that the kingdom is going to be restored and you are going to sit on the throne and rule over Israel and all of that stuff? You see, they, they didn't get it. Verse 7, And he said unto them, <laughs> It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own power. But, see, He says, leave all that, but you shall receive power. In other words, if you go and do what I'm telling you, you will finally understand something. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be uh, witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, when he had spoken these things, notice, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So a cloud comes and takes him away, a glory cloud, so to speak. Verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Or, these are angels, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Notice here that the angels also are saying something different. They are saying he's coming back in like manner like he came and ascended from this mountain. The next verse says it was called Olivet. Notice that. They returned from Jerusalem onto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. So in other words, he left from this mountain, he'll be coming back to this mountain. In other words, the angels don't know about the church age either. They are talking about that day when he comes known as the you know second coming, which is the Jewish coming. Are you getting it? Not the rapture of the church. Even the angels don't know it. First Peter one says in verse twelve that the angels desire to look into those things or 
God was doing something that even angels had no clue about. It's a mystery. The church age was a mystery. God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit knew of course. But the angels didn't know about it. Praise God. From the foundation of the earth it was hidden. None of the prophets knew about it. Very interesting. So the insertion of the church, you and I, was a very special event from the mind of God. A, a secret that he had planned for us, which uh, now we find ourselves coming to the end of it. Praise God. So they go back and, of course, they go to the upper room. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they move into a whole new dispensation called the church age. And, of course, you notice there is um, you know, legalism and all that that piles in eventually that they have to deal with in Acts chapter 15. However, let's go and look at one or two things that will help us. So the Jewish age is going to pick up again shortly after we leave the earth. And so we're going to look at a thing or two from the book of Daniel. I think we should look at it. Daniel was uh, taken captive and um, he was one of the sharpest of them, especially among all of the Jewish captives. Um, he had great revelation and understanding from God and he feared God, had served God. And so this man uh, had revelation in a peculiar way and it, there was a time when dreams had to be interpreted and he was called upon and he gave the interpretation of the dreams and we talked about one of those particular dreams where there was this um, statue like of a man with different parts of the body made out of different uh, substances and then we said that the feet were made out of clay and iron and that it was not cohesive, it would not mix and so it was not strong and that's the last part there and that uh, meant it was going to be a Roman kingdom with other nations also in there. Praise God. And that is what's going to be seen eventually. Because at the time of Jesus, guess what had happened? It was now Rome that was ruling even when Jesus was there. And so the clock stopped just after that. After they refused him, the clock stopped for the Jewish people. And when it starts again, it's going to start again with, guess who? With the Roman people ruling again. So the Jewish clock starts with the Roman Empire ruling again during a seven-year period. But let's see where these things come from. Daniel chapter 9, let's go down. And during a particular time in the history, they had been in Babylonian captivity and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, was wicked and he was humbled and he eventually became a believer after he was out in the um, forests and eating grass and he grew his nails and hair came out. He was like a creature and he humbled himself and he called on the, the God of Daniel and then he became a great guy. But then there's this fellow called Belshazzar who is a wicked fellow that now has you know, decided that he would bring all the things out of the temple. Anytime they took captives, they would ransack them and ransack the temple. And God has mentioned these things in the Old Testament. If you obey me, you know, none of these things will happen. But if you disobey me, you'll be taken away 
by others and you will be ransacked and you will be spread here and there. You see it again and again in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 28 is full of it. So this was one of those seasons here where Babylon had taken them captive. So Daniel and all of them were brought to Babylon and uh, during that time Belshazzar had this uh, experience. He was having a banquet and he said let's use uh, what was in those Jewish temples to get drunk and high and all. So they brought all the temple um, utensils and decided to start getting uh, drunk on them. And then suddenly <laughs> a hand appeared and began to write on the wall. That's the, the writing on the wall. And he, the whole place became quiet and the guy began to shiver and wonder what was happening. And they were wondering what can who, what can this mean and so on and so forth. And finally Daniel was called and he gave the meaning of it that, you know, you have been found wanting, you have been measured, you've been judged and you're found wanting and uh, you're going to lose the kingdom. And eventually, you know, Babylon was supposed to be such a solid kingdom that it was like impossible to break in. But during that conversation and that whole gathering there, that same night, the Medes had found a place where uh, the river was passing under the city and it had become dammed by them and it was dry. So they managed to come in under the walls and attack the city that same night. And it became under the power of uh, Darius and Cyrus. All that is some history. You can go and read it. Um, from the book or you know check on Google or whatever and so that same night what looked impossible the same night uh, happened and so this is what was happening let's read what happened there verse 23 at the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth and I am come to show thee for thou art greatly beloved therefore understand the matter and consider the vision this is that angel now you know, telling Daniel, he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for the iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. So, Notice here that what is happening here is that 70 weeks have been given upon the holy city, Jerusalem, to finish, make an end of sins, reconciliation, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the Most Holy. The Most Holy there is the Holy of Holies. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. <laughs> and, 26, after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city 
and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war desolations are determined and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So this is a whole lineup of what's supposed to happen. Just one shot coming out of the mouth of Daniel. I mean, the angel gave it to him. Praise God. 22, it starts by saying, He talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Notice the angel has now been sent. Notice that this angel does not know about the church age, okay? Remember? That's where we started off in Acts chapter 1. So the angel has been, you know, privy to all of this stuff. And um, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. 70 weeks means 7 zero multiplied by 7, which is equivalent to 490. In other words, it's like God has this interesting dealing of sevens and seventies and sabbaths. God is a God of sabbaths. Apparently, if you study your Bible, you have to give the land uh, rest. There must be a sabbath. There must be a period that you give the land complete rest. And trust God that that year that you didn't plant anything, God will provide for you during that time. But you see, um, what happens is that people become so self-confident and begin to trust in their own senses that they say, hey, why should we not plant for one whole year and just let the land rest like that? If we plant during that year, we'll get some more. They become like that. And so they stopped allowing the land to rest. In other words, they broke that Sabbath, which in the New Testament we have also this rest. And we were saying there were three words about rest there. And one of them, which has been given to us in Hebrews, is called Sabbatismos, which is also like the Sabbath. So God has this deal about uh, resting in what He has done trusting His Word rather than your own strength. And so what happened was, for a period of 490 years, there was David and then came Messiah. Interesting, right? David to Babylon was 490. And then Babylon to Messiah was 490. Let's see if we can get it. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So, between David, incidentally, and Babylonian captivity was 490 years. David um, somehow was God's own choice for Israel, and... Uh, Israel had risen to a great level by then, but eventually they backslid and they stopped giving the land rest. And that's why they were taken away captive to Babylon. Got that? Praise God. And so from the Babylonian captivity time, then this word comes through Daniel. And he says, 
again, you have a 490 uh, year plan. 70 times 7. So between that and Messiah's time is going to be 490. Between the time of Babylon and 490. Notice, after the 490, it's supposed to be Messiah ruling on the earth, the Jewish time peace. So it was pretty straightforward. 490 before Babylon and then 490 after Babylon. It was all neat. So those who knew the scriptures... Immediately after the Babylonian captivity, they just had to check, okay, Messiah will come when it's 490. But they did not know that the coming of Messiah that they were supposed to be talking about in Daniel is the second coming or where he sits on the throne in Jerusalem. Praise God. So 490 seemed to be like hmm, confusing because here he is. We know he's the Messiah. So the disciples were concerned. If this is the 490 and you are here, you're risen from the grave and we touch you and all, tell us now, it must be kingdom time, right? Yeah. So that's when he said, you guys just go. You don't need to know the time and the season. Just go go up there, You know, receive the promise of the Father. Are you getting it? So according to their study and you know, a good knowledge of the Jewish uh, synagogue and teachings, they said if Messiah is here, that means 490 must be up. But see, they did not realize that there was something missing there or the seven year period and then the church. Praise God. Alright, let's see if we can calculate that. I hope you are tracking with me. <laughs> Hallelujah. So let's get this in our remaining 15 minutes. 70 weeks, notice that means 490. Upon the people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, to anoint the Holy of Holies. So that's all talking about how the Holy of Holies is going to have Jesus inside there. In other words, talking about the end when Jesus comes and sits on the throne in Jerusalem. Are you getting that? So 490, get that. The next verse says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. In other words, they were going to come out of Babylon because remember Daniel was praying, studying from Jeremiah. He was asking, Lord, when are we going out of here? We're supposed to go out of here. Because the 70 year period is over and all of that, remember? And so just after that is when they were now taken over by Darius and Cyrus. And Cyrus was a believer. And Cyrus is the one who said, go and rebuild, go and build the temple and rebuild Jerusalem and he even gave towards it. Praise God. So from that going forth is what he's saying. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks. And there's another figure there. Three score and two weeks. Three score means sixty 
or 3 times 20 and then 2 or 62 weeks and the street shall be built again the wall even in troublous times so what that means there is that the 70 years or rather 7 weeks notice that 7 weeks plus 3 score and 2 7 weeks plus 3 score and 2 you'll have to mathematically add that up and if you calculate it hallelujah so when you add that plus 49 you're going to get almost 490 are you getting it? it'll be a balance of one week one week will be left 483 and uh, if you add another 7 you get 490 and so on I hope you understand that and after 3 score and 2 weeks 26 shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be a flood unto the end of the war desolations are determined so get your mathematics together it's quite simple actually so there will be um, this period of 70 or 49 let's get that proper from the going forth of the commandment to build Jerusalem shall be 7 weeks so 7 times 7 49 and then 62 weeks so multiply 62 by 7 and see what you get add those together and that will bring you to Jesus time period and if you add that you'll find out one week is missing I wish I could write it down, but you know, I, I can't. You will notice that when Jesus was on the earth, there was a, a missing seven years. That's what it means, if you calculate that up. And in those seven years that are missing there, um, they thought, okay, hey, it's just seven years left. So, it should be that easy. But they didn't realize that there was coming a 2,000 year chuck in where you and I would come in, in between. Are you getting that? Verse 26. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So Jesus was going to be killed after that period. But not for himself. For us. And the prince of the people that shall come shall destroy the city. That's the Antichrist in quote Rome back then. So Rome was going to come and finish the temple and squash up Jerusalem and walk all over Jerusalem by AD 70. So that would be the end of that. And then we'd have to wait for the church age, which was you and I, which is almost over. And so there's one seven-year period that's coming up, or one week left. And that one week is the tribulation week. Hallelujah. Let's read that also. 27, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, He shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations shall make it desolate, even until the consummation that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. It's all this King James stuff. But what he's saying here is that, first of all, He'll make a covenant with Israel, 
and he'll say, I know everybody surrounding you guys. You guys are in trouble. Don't worry, I'm here with you. And he's going to be the head of the revived Roman Empire. And he'll make a covenant with uh, Israel and they will trust him. And everything will be fine, in quotes. Meanwhile, we would have left, imagine. And people will be starting to wonder, what happened? But they will enter into about three and a half years of seemingly okay. And then suddenly, in the middle of that period, you know, he will suddenly go into the temple and sit on the throne there. And he will say, I am the king, I am God. You cannot worship anybody or anything else. You have to worship me. That's when everything will suddenly click and the Jewish people will realize this is not the Messiah. This is not anybody else. This is the evil guy. This is the Antichrist. Hallelujah. So, after that uh, breaking of the covenant, you'll find out that the remaining three and a half years suddenly will become super hard. It's called the Great Tribulation. After the three and a half, it gets really, really bad. And just to stay there and claim that you, you are a believer, it's going to be so hard that, um, you know, it's just better to be saved right now. But people who endure like that, to the end of that entire seven year period, they come into the millennium, and um, they have natural bodies, and they actually get rewards, and they rule with Jesus also, praise God, but they have natural bodies. And with those bodies, they have children. And in the beginning, everybody will be just Paka believer types. But as years pass, because it will be a thousand year with no um, curse, no failure, everything will be going so nicely, people will multiply. But then um, they will start to choose their own ways and they have choice, and they may turn against the Lord Jesus, but they may not tell everybody, but there will be a quiet rebellion, and at some point, when the enemy is released, when Satan is released again, then they will flare up and show their true colors, and it's amazing how a huge number of people are going to come against the Lord, against the holy city, and He will consume them, burn them up. Hallelujah! But I, I hope that somehow, without my writing anything, you're able to get that last mathematical part. It's 62 multiplied by 7. And then there's one period of 7 weeks again, which means 7 multiplied by 7. That means 49. So 49 plus the answer to the other, which is, I believe, four, yeah, 434. Thank you. 434 plus um, 49. That gives you the actual yeah, 483. So if you are dealing with 483, if you subtract four, uh, 483 from the 70 weeks, you have 7 years missing. That is the 7 years that is coming up in the tribulation. And in between that period came the church. Now the church age is almost over. So what you have to watch out for is we're going home. And then those who are here are going to be sitting around under tremendously hard times. 
But there are going to be many who will accept Jesus, even in those times, at least half. We will be looking at some more of those things in the coming uh, study, maybe next Wednesday. How that a lot of the New Testament, uh, the Gospels are not talking about the church age. But actually, Matthew is very clear to tell about Matthew 24 and 25. And we'll look at it. That's actually talking about the Jews and the tribulation and people becoming believers during that time. I believe that because uh, it changes a lot of things. For instance, the story of the virgins, you know, five foolish and five wise. People have asked me over the years, what is this? You know, does it mean if you don't have the Holy Spirit or if you don't speak in tongues, you won't go to heaven? The door will be closed. All those kind of questions, they end there. If you understand that that's not talking about us, that the church age is out of here, that he's talking about the Jewish people or the believers, in quote, who get into Jesus and who refuse Jesus at, you know, at different times during the seven years, then you begin to understand. So we will look at some of those thoughts also next week. But I hope you got the maths correctly. It's not hard, it's just a couple of King James sounding things. But if you look at it, mathematically it's quite simple. <laughs> Praise God. Shall we pray? Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you, we praise you, we worship you. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time period in which we live. We're excited that after all the mathematics is done, Jesus is coming to take us home. We're so excited about it. Oh, thank you, Lord. We're so glad that we are the chosen ones, chosen for this time, chosen for this season. Hallelujah. Praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are a faithful God. You'll do what you said. Hallelujah. Through it all, we yield to you. We declare that we are yielding our will, our emotions, our thoughts to your word, to your teaching, to your power, so that we will be disciples. Disciples indeed. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, Abba Father. We are grateful. We worship you. We honor you, Father. Glory to your holy name. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that this will be a time where we will not be lying there with the dead, but we will stand up and do what we have to do with greater force, greater alacrity and choice to live for you, Abba Father, to redeem each day maximally for your glory and your praise. I thank you for the anointing, for the mercy of God to help each one to do what they know, to act on the word so that we'll be ready when you come. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share the word and come into your rooms and through your media. And I thank God for the team who has been helping us tirelessly again and again. And let's be helpers of the truth, fellow helpers of the truth. If you'd like to give towards the church and anyone else 
You can always choose, but be a blessing on the earth. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's give in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We receive, Lord, in Jesus' name. Here mortal men receive, but there he that lives forever receives. So we use this as a point of contact today. Thank you, Jesus. You are a faithful God. You'll do what you said. We trust you. As your people give, help them to receive from the increase of God. In this time, that they will laugh at famine and pestilence. They will laugh at destruction. They will laugh at every curse. They have foretaste of you ruling and reigning, dominating in every situation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You're blessed.